G'day, Phil. How are you going? Hey, Pato. Not too bad. How are you? Yeah, really good, thanks. Really good. Um, so you got back to Australia yesterday, did you? Yeah, yesterday afternoon. So, um, yeah, almost been home for 24 hours now. Yeah, good. Um, so I've got a few questions written down, Phil. I mean, first of all, well done on your performance at Biggs. I mean, to do 100 hours and you're obviously hurting as well in that last 24 hours or so is it was an incredible performance i thought yeah thank you um, yeah, it was um obviously not as high as what my my pb was but i think given the conditions of the course and what i was what i was dealing with um i'm, I'm pretty happy with that result overall yeah yeah so i mean it's been a long chapter in your running journey this big Bigs chapter, I guess you could call it, yeah. because like not after not, after not getting to Bigs in 2021 when you got invited, and then you had to wait another 12 months after you won your golden ticket. Um, how does it feel to be home now with that chapter behind you, and I guess a new one about to begin? Um, yeah, like I had a really good time, um, but the whole experience was really good. Um, not just the race, but but, you know, travelling to America and, and seeing a few places over there. Um, and, yeah, I've, I've kind of, um, I've got a bit of time now between now and what my next event is, which it's not looking like it's going to be until probably March or April next year. Um, so, yeah, in, in a way, it kind of feels like, yeah, this event has been like the culmination of like the last three years of work and now it's just, you know, now I'm starting a new chapter, um, but also at the same time, it's like my backyard journey is not finished. I've still got a lot more plans and, and stuff coming up in the future, so. Yeah, cool. Um, and during that time between winning the golden ticket, um, you did a lot. Like, I mean, a lot of backyard ultra golden ticket winners, they didn't even race till bigs, but you didn't do that. You ran at Herdies, you ran at the Masters. Um you broke 100, you broke the world record, and because you did so well, you were the world record holder, you went into bigs as pretty much the favourite, and I'm sure a lot of people were telling you, you're going to win, you're going to win. Um, but you seemed like you're pretty level-headed. It didn't seem like you were feeling any pressure, but was there a part of you that was feeling pressure? Yeah, definitely a little bit. Um but I just keep reminding myself, you know, just go into the ra into this race the same way I go into every other race. And I'll never try to put that sort of pressure or expectation on myself. And I think it's easier with the with the backyards because you just it just starts out so casually. Like you just wake up in the morning and you go on and you're doing a little six point seven K jog. Um, you know, you come back, you regroup, you go out and do it again. And it's not like if you do a marathon, for example, or, you know, even an ultra 50K, 100K, you know, that first K or even that first 10K is, it's so important to get right. And if you're behind pace on that first K, say you're doing a marathon and you need to go at it three minutes, 50 per K, but then your first K is like 3.55, then you have to try and make up all of that lost time in your following Ks and it puts a bit more pressure on. Whereas with the backyard, you can come in and like my first lap's always pretty slow. If you if you come in and you know you're planning to do 50 minutes for your first lap, but you come in at 55, 
that extra five minutes, it doesn't really make a difference. So it's not really get, until it gets to the pointy end when you've been out there for, you know, 50 or 70 or 100 hours that it, you kind of get to that point where, you know, every little thing matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's kind of the way that I approach it, like just not having that pressure on me. It's just going in. I'm just going out for a casual run. And I, I just find that easier. And then it's it kind of that pressure just builds up gradually throughout the race as you kind of get deeper into it. Mm-hmm. Do you remember um, when you were on the podcast earlier in the year um, on the Herdies episode, you were talking about how things that you've lived um, in your life, like you used to work, you talked about how you worked at Domino's and that helped you yeah. learn patience. Is there yeah. anything like in your life that's kind of like helped you with the pressure side of things? Um, I think not. Not specifically. I think it's something I've got better at handling um, with each backyard that I've done. Just like I've, I've mentioned before, that every backyard I do, I learn something. Um, I didn't really have any pressure on me in my first backyard because nothing was expected of me. Um, and then I went and did my second backyard and, you know, after finishing my first backyard as the assistant, you know, I'd come in with like bigger goals and all this, there was a little bit more pressure, but at the same time, I was never like, you know, this isn't something I'm going to win. This is just, I'm going to try and beat what I did at, at my first backyard. But then I won that. And then I think from then on going into the next one, it's like, there was a little bit more pressure there because I'd already won that one. I'd, I'd been an assist. So there, there was probably, that was the first backyard I did where there's probably that expectation that I would win that one as well and yeah just with every backyard I've done it's just been that little bit more pressure and to do what was it it would have been eight in a row um so finishing with masters that I'd won every single one um yeah that that pressure just comes each time that because I've won all of my previous ones Mm. you know the pressure's on for me to win that one but I yeah, I, n- I never really think going into it, I never think that it's a given or, you know, a lot of people might have those expectations on me, um, but I always know that anything can happen in the backyard. I've seen people do really well at backyards and then at the next backyard that they do, something happens and they're out of the race early or there's someone else that comes along who no one's seen before, but then suddenly they're, you know, running these huge numbers. Uh, so I never take it out as a given. Um, but, yeah, I, I do kind of... I guess, yeah, along all, all of those backyards I've done, the, the pressure probably mounts a little bit more each time. Mm. And I've just learned to kind of take that on. And, um, yeah, just kind of I think I'm pretty good at managing it now. Um, and a lot of the mind-focused stuff I do as well, It's I've just got to bring it back to thinking about myself and, and my own performance rather than looking at what other people are doing around me. Mm. You mentioned the first backyard ultra that you ever did um, when you were the assist and Michael Hooker won. I've never asked you this before, but I was actually wondering, like, if Hooker wasn't in that race and you ended up being the last one standing running, like, 31 or 32 yards, whatever it would have been, um, do you reckon you'd be the same runner today? Um, no, well, I, I think that that backyard is the the event where I've learned the most from. Um, And coming so close to winning that, but then not winning, that just gave me the drive to kind of 
you know, pull out all the stops, just look at every single aspect of, of the race and see where are the areas that I can, can improve. And so that that's, I think, what made me go from finishing at the as sisters that to doing the next event and winning it and getting the Australian record. So, uh, yeah, I haven't really, yeah, like I haven't had that question before. Um, but I think if I had won it with 31 hours and I wasn't kind of pushed to that breaking point, um, I would have just probably just gone into the next event just thinking, oh, yeah, I won that one easy enough. I'll, you know, be able to win this next one. And I, I probably wouldn't have changed anything. I wouldn't have kind of micromanaged all of those little things about my event. So um, I think, yeah, definitely losing that first one or coming as his sister at that first one um, made me really analyse my performance and see how, how my, about what areas do I need to improve on. Mm. Um, and you also mentioned before about how anything can happen in a backyard ultra. And I was thinking about it before. It's so true because especially in the really, really long ones, there's just all that more extra time where something can go wrong. And because yeah. it's so much time, when something goes wrong, it just compounds and compounds yeah. as the race gets longer. Um, but with Biggs, um, we talked a little bit about how it's, going to be a more minimalist race for you like less crew less gear less space what type of um what type of usual items did you have to sacrifice um so the biggest one was crew so i've always gone into events um having at least three crew um and so this one i'd gone in just having Gemma. um but i was really lucky in the fact that Kind of on the last, I think, two days before, Lads changed the rules and he said, okay, you can have one crew swap. And I was lucky that I had a friend over there, Emma, and um, she'd come over to, to babysit the kids while we were out doing the event. And um, so I talked to her and she was happy to jump in for the first 24 hours. So I had her crew for me. Um, and then, yeah, Gemma came out and swapped, swapped with her on the, on the second day. So, yeah, it, it just really helped Gemma that she was coming into it nice and fresh. Um, and so by the time we got to, you know, like the fourth and fifth day, she wasn't that behind on her sleep. Um, so, yeah, that, that would be the biggest one. I mean, we did have crew as well. Um, like the people who'd normally crew for me, we had like a little message group. So they were there for moral support and to offer advice and things like that. Um, and we also had... You know, some of the Aussies jump in towards the end when, you know, their races had ended. So Gemma wasn't completely on her own, but it's still very different um, working with crew that you haven't worked with before. Um, so Gemma was really the only one who kind of knew all my little nuances and the things that I like specifically done and stuff like that. Um, in terms of gear, um, like a big one for me was a shower. Um, every event I've been, uh, I've been able to have a shower, whether it's, you know, a proper hot shower or just something hooked up with a hose that I can spray myself down with. Um, bigs, there was one tap, which was about 400 meters away up the hill. And so there was no chance I was going to get up there to use that for a shower. And so instead we had to do like a sponge bath. So we just filled a bucket with, with water, gem heated a bit and put some boiling water in there as well. You know, soap and a sponge and, like it did the job, but it just it didn't give the same sort of like refreshed feeling, and it was very rushed as well. Um, 
So it's, yeah, and and for me, the shower is not just about getting clean. It's it's about having that normality of your day. So every day, it kind of wakes up. You wake up and you have a shower, and you 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 know you're ready to tackle that day. So for me, the whole ad hoc sponge bath, it was yeah, it got me clean and all that, but it just wasn't it it wasn't the same refreshing feeling as you know just stepping out from under having a hot shower and you know feeling ready to tackle another day. Um, but yeah, we was lucky with a lot of the bigger gear that we had. Uh, we got put in contact with someone over there who was able to get us, um, like the recliner chairs and tables and eskies and stuff like that. Um, I actually ended up going to Walmart and buying a recliner chair as well because the one that we got lent wasn't super comfy. Like it, it did the job, but I was like, if I'm going to be here for a long time and this is where I'm going to be sitting every break, let's just go out and buy a, a comfier chair. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, um, yeah, that, that, were, that were probably the biggest kind of differences I had. Mm. I um, saw that, this yeah, I, I did notice on the live stream, actually, I'm not sure if you've watched any of the live stream or, or uh, little bits and pieces, but yeah. not a lot of it. Yeah. Um, because I did notice on the live stream, there was one time it might've been in the eighties when you. It was on the last night anyway. You were on the phone to someone. I think it was um, the bloke who was at the Masters who was helping you with your sleep. Um, yeah, Nathan. Yeah, yeah so yeah. that – yeah, so it sounds like you had a pretty good um, way of still doing what you needed to do but in a, in a different kind of way. Yeah, so Nathan was really good. Um, it is handy when he's at the event and he can do like the hypnotherapy sessions kind of – um you know tailor made for what point i am in the what point i'm at in the event and you know he's kind of got a bit more awareness of what's going on and how i'm progressing through the race um whereas this time he he had some pre-recorded stuff which was really good for like early on i didn't need to kind of bother him and call him up i could just use the pre-recorded stuff he had but as i started kind of having more specific problems later on it's like Gemma was on the phone to him trying to explain what's what's happening and then I'd come in and I'd have a little quick chat with Nathan explaining what's going on. And so he'd kind of then kind of make up that, that session on the fly. But um, it, it worked pretty well. Um, we did the best with, with what we had. Um, it's not the same as having him there in person, um, but having him on there on the phone was, was the next best thing. So I think that worked pretty well. Yeah. And I'm tipping that you wore the um, Tarkeen road shoes at night and the Trail Devils during the day? Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, exactly the same sort of plan that I had for, for Masters. Yeah. Um, although with Masters I did wear the road shoes on a lot of the trail loops, um, but this trail it was just a lot more difficult and technical. I just, yeah, stuck to the trail shoes the whole time on, on the trail loops. Yeah, yeah. Um, how many shoes did you take with you? So I took two of the Trail Devils and two of the Goshawks. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I just kind of alternated them each day. And then I also had another pair of backup, like a non-Tarkine pair, which, yeah, I didn't end up using, but it was just there just in case those two pairs ended up not working for me. Mm. Do you ever do barefoot running? Because I saw that um, Tarkine and... <laughs> They've bought out a barefoot shoe. Yeah, I have. I haven't actually tried that one yet. I'm not a big fan of the zero drop or the barefoot running. Yeah. Um. I yeah. think I probably will try those shoes at some point, just because they're they're tarkine. But 
um, yeah, it's, it's not really my usual type of shoe. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so I know you did a bit of um, touristy things when you got to the US. Um, yep. When did you get to well, – how, how long were you in America for and when did you get to Laz's hometown? Uh, so we we landed in Texas on the Friday, like not the day before the event, but like a week and a day before. Um, so it was in Texas for about four days. And then we went to Nashville. We was in Nashville for a couple of days. And then we went to Mefreesboro. So Mefreesboro was like the closest town to where Laz was. Uh, it was probably about 25, 30-minute drive. Um, so we were set up there in an Airbnb. And we got there on the Thursday. Um, and then, yeah, we went to Laz's on Friday and did all of our setup stuff. And then, yeah, it was an early night on Friday and woke up early Saturday morning to drive back down there. Yeah. And when you went there on the Friday to set up and everything like that, did you walk the trail? No, um, didn't have a lot of time to do that. And with the backyard, it's like, I don't need to do a recon. I'll just do my recon on the first lap. Yeah. Um, I did see some video footage and I'd spoken to some people about the course. And before I'd actually run that first lap, I've, I've had um yeah like i wasn't really looking forward to the day course at all like what i'd heard about it i was just like this is going to be real rough but then i did that i think because my expectations were like that when i actually went and ran it I'm like, i was like oh this isn't actually too bad like it's still like the hardest backyard course that i've done um but it wasn't as bad as i, I was expecting it to be so it's probably kind of good in a way that i hadn't done the course and i kind of had built my expectations up that it's going to be real tough because then when I went and did it, I'm like, well, it's not actually as bad as I thought it was going to be. And yeah. I actually quite, I, I quite enjoyed it for the first couple of days. And, but yeah, it does really start wearing down on you. Mm. Yeah. Cause I saw a few um, runners posted um, photos or videos on Instagram on the day before it started of them walking the trail. And yeah, it did look hard. And the hardest thing to me was it was all covered in leaf litter. So it was impossible yeah. to see, but that those leaves cleared out pretty quickly by the look of things. Yeah, so by by the second day, it was like yeah, it had been a bit more groomed with everyone's footsteps, and the yeah. the leaves had kind of cleared up a bit. And I think I think those leaves probably did kind of hide a few trip hazards and you know rocks and little stumps and stuff like that on the first day. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure at least once every lap. I would have seen someone trip and fall. Um, I, I myself, I stubbed my my toe a few times or had some close calls where I almost fell. Um, but, yeah, it wasn't until the fifth day where I actually had my first proper fall. Yeah. Um, yeah, it looked hard. I mean, that poor Indian bloke, he fell pretty bad and was out yeah. about seven or nine yards, I think. It cost I thought it was a bit later than that, but yeah. I can't. I can't remember. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It definitely cut a few runners' races a lot shorter than it otherwise would have. But yeah, um, yeah. Um, how did you sleep the night before? Did you have like a nice night's sleep? Yeah, I I probably had. I think yeah, I had a solid eight hours. We had to get up at about. I think it was about four. I probably woke up about four forty-five because we wanted to leave by five thirty to get there by six o'clock to have that hour before the event started to finish our setup. Um, but I was in, I would have been in bed by 
probably like eight o'clock. So yeah, I still had a, a good eight hours sleep. And, you know, when my alarm went off at 4.45, I was yeah, up and ready to go and I was pretty good. So mm-hmm. do you think because, I mean, I, I understand you're a shift worker. Do you reckon because you're a shift worker that helps you with um, just being able to fall asleep whenever you want to kind of or easily? Um, yeah, t- like I th- I think I'm pretty good with my sleep anyway. Like I don't, I mean, maybe being a shift worker has something to do with it, but I think I've just, it's probably more like the the meditation and stuff that I do before bed that I think helps me a lot. And I'm always a a fairly good sleeper um, and I can kind of just get to sleep within five minutes of my head hitting the pillow. And I think that, especially like in the lead up to an event, like the whole probably two to three weeks before the event, I was kind of focused on getting that eight to nine hours of sleep. Um, so, yeah, when it comes to the event, and I've kind of adjusted my bedtime that I, you know, every, every night I'm trying to go to bed that little bit earlier. So by the time it gets to the event, you know, I can go, go to bed at eight o'clock and I'm tired enough that I can get to sleep. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, it's not only about the night before the race. It's about banking sleep in the, like, the days leading up to it as well, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. And I mean, it, it was harder because I was, you know, sleeping in different beds and, you know, different places like hotel rooms. And, you know, there's always so much that I want to do because I'm in a new place and, you know, visit new um, new areas and that. But I was just like, no, I've got to make sure, you know, I can get to get to sleep early. And every night it's, um, yeah, just get to sleep that little bit earlier. You're waking up that little bit earlier. And then, so by, yeah, the, by the time it gets to the event day or the night before the event, you can get a better eight o'clock and you can sleep fine. And it's like I was talking about before, like I don't go into it having all of this pressure that everything has to be right from that very first um, lap because the, um, just taking that pressure off having, you know, those, those first few laps needing to be perfect just makes your sleep a bit better. Whereas if you're going into, you know, like a, a marathon or, or one of those point-to-point ultras, you can start to stress about it a bit and that can um, affect your sleep. Whereas this is like, oh, no, it's going to be fine. Like You made me think like you you take a pretty laid back approach for the first few yards, getting into the groove kind of thing. But it's yeah. funny, some runners take the opposite approach. Like um, Sam Harvey, for example, he, he ran a 28-minute loop at Dead Cow Gully and it looked like he ran the fastest first loop at, um, at Biggs as well. Yeah, uh, but for me it's like, doesn't matter what what you do that first loop in and, and in fact i'm probably my my first loops are probably my slower ones um because for me there's less stuff that i need to do during the break for those laps um you know getting that rest you know maximizing that rest time during the break isn't as important um yes yeah, so i just go out there take it easy like i, I don't want to be at the back because especially with a course like this where I knew it was going to be single trail for a lot. I didn't want to get stuck behind a lot of people. So I try to kind of make my my way towards the front of the group, but not at the front um, because the other thing is I hadn't done the course before and I didn't know how hard it was going to be to follow. And so I wanted people in front of me who I knew knew the way. So I wasn't going to get lost. And I mean, as it was, it was pretty easy to follow and it was very well marked. And there was, there wasn't really any areas where you could get lost um but yeah once i've done that first lap and i know where i'm going then i can just kind of start to settle into a groove mm. um and in the starting corral like 
before the first yard. Um, yeah. Like, what, what was it like? Was it hard to believe that you were actually there and the race was about to start? Was it like a bit like a dream? Because that's how I imagine it would be like. Uh, it was probably more like that on the Friday night. Uh, so Friday afternoon. Um when all the runners were kind of rocking up at Lazars and, you know, I've gone to see people who I, who I know by reputation but I haven't actually met in person yet or I might follow them on Instagram or, you know, people follow me on Instagram and you get to meet these people for the first, for the first time and you're going to meet Laz and, um, yeah, just being there and thinking, oh, this is where the world champs is, you know, we're going to be running this tomorrow. I think I had a lot more of those sort of feelings on the Friday but, by the time I got there on on Saturday, it was just just like any other backyard, just line up in the corral and yeah. let's go do this. Yeah. Um, so I saw you bumped into one or two runners in the Lazar's hometown on the Friday. I saw you bumped into John Stocker. Were you bumping into many runners, or was it just John? Stocker? No, it was it was just John Stocker. So it was funny because I was at we're at Walmart at the subway at Walmart. And I'm standing there putting in my order and I hear someone behind me calling out, Phil, Phil. And I'm like, I'm not responding because I'm like, I'm in this strange place. No one here knows me. And then like he taps me on the shoulder and I turn around. So, like, oh, John Stocker. So um, it was just, yeah, it's just bizarre. I wasn't expecting to bump into anyone there. But then, um, yeah, I had a real good chat with him and we, we had lunch together and, um, yeah, that was really good. But, I mean, besides the, the Aussie guys, I didn't, the only other people I bumped into were, were down at Lazar's property. Yeah. Um, so watching the live stream and, and also looking at how consistent your times were, it definitely seems like you were well and truly in the zone for the first three days and three nights. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was it was probably the best the best I've been out of any events for the first three days. Um, everything was just like clockwork. I wasn't having any issues. I was just going out. I was sticking to my plan, following the paces that I was meant to be doing. Um, the only things I really had to change was, um, so my shower laps, which I say are a shower lap, but again, it was a sponge bath. Um, I'd, I'd planned to have that sort of um, around 10 o'clock, um, which I did for the first day. Um, but then I realised there's it's hard to do that faster time on, on the day course. So instead I, I moved that to the last night lap. I did a faster lap. And so it's just when the sun was coming up, um, I, I ended up having my shower lap then because it was just easier to get the, the faster lap done and ha have that spare time after mm. doing the road course. And it kind of, I think worked better for that psychological thing as well, because it marks the end of the night laps and the start of the, of the day laps um but yeah other than that um every, every lap was was as i'd planned it um and yeah it went really well but yeah it was obviously on the it was just a little bit into the fourth day um i started having the the pain in my leg and it just started out small um but you can see with my times i kind of not as consistent for that fourth day and then the fourth night things started falling apart and you can see that on the on the times as well mm. um and yeah it was just it just stemmed from that that little leg thing and it just um i, I was able to kind of hold it at bay for as long as possible but it, it was just something that was inevitably inevitably gonna get worse so right um 
one thing that was captured on the live stream was probably around the 72 hour mark the um the cameraman asked how you were feeling and you did say at this stage this is the third time i've been in this stage of a backyard ultra and this is the best i've felt so far at yep. this stage in a race but yeah yep. i think it was around the 74 hour mark was it that you started feeling your leg with that does that sound about right yeah so that was that was the first time that I, I asked Jem, it's like, I probably need to start the Panadol, um, which for me, like, I'm probably having having the painkillers a little bit earlier in the backyards. Um, and I, I was surprised I got through three days without even needing to think about, oh, should I have some painkillers yet? So I remember, yeah, I think it was lap 74. I was like, I've got this pain here and... I should probably start to take the Panadol to stay on top of it. Mm. Um, and, yeah, so uh, that's, yeah, that's when that kind of happened. And, like, I, I still got through the day okay. Um, but then at the end of the fourth day, there was a, um, so the uh, Jivey, he, he'd, um, he'd fallen down on course and I'd come across him. Uh, he's on his own on the bridge there and he just he looked catatonic so i'm like i can't leave him here and then i phoned up Jem and trying to explain to her to get someone to come out and help him or to let laz know and so i kind of stayed with him for a bit and um yes yeah, so I, I stayed with him and then it was kevin from belgium um he he, he was already um he finished his race but and so he was just still hanging around and he'd got word that he was out there somehow so he came out there so i, I had to stay with jivey for i don't know i think it was probably about five minutes before kevin rocked up and when he came and took over looking after him then i'm like okay now i've got a sprint to to catch the tail here mm -hmm. and i think yeah going out and like kind of running I'd, I'd kind of i was out of rhythm then i was i was doing a pace faster than what i've been trying to maintain um during that day and i think i probably just put a bit too much pressure on that leg and um because then it just it it started to escalate from from there and um yeah and you see like going into the night i then wasn't able to maintain my my quick night loops to get my sleep in and then i wasn't getting the sleep so then yeah my, my cognition and stuff started to go downhill and um yeah i mean i I just had to do the the best with the the situation I was yeah. presented with, and I, I think I kind of managed it as as best I could, and Gemma managed it as best that she could. So I'm um, I'm pretty happy with how far I went, considering yeah. those issues that I was having. Do you know what happened to Jivey? Was he okay? Um, he, he was okay in the end. Um, I don't know specifically, but when I found him, he just. I was trying to talk to him and I didn't know if he spoke English or not. Um, and he, he just wasn't giving me any answers. He was just like looking deep into space and yeah. So yeah. I, I don't know specifically what was wrong with him, but then when I finished that lap, um, I saw him, he was, he had, he was with a couple of other people who were, you know, arms around his shoulders and they were bringing him in and I just quickly checked in with him if he was okay and he, he seemed like it's going to be all right so yeah. when to finished the lap and but yeah he was yeah i think he just reached that point where he was just yeah, didn't know what was going on didn't know where he was 
yeah didn't know what to say or or any of that yeah he was um running some like making it back just in time and then going out and doing more loops so he was um yeah pushing it to the very limit that's for sure yeah um so with your it was your left leg i believe um yeah. like when the pain was at its worst what out of 10 what would have you given the pain uh not quite a 10 but i mean it, it was not too bad on the road like i could manage it on the road and once i'd been kind of running for say 500 meters to a k I kind of, it just gets to a point where I can just deal with it. But then when I switched to the trail, it was like every time, you know, I stepped on something uneven or, you know, kicked a rock or a root or something, it would just send this shooting pain up my leg. And, you know, on day one, I'll, I'll be kicking rocks all over the place and it wouldn't bother me. Um, but by this time, yeah, if I, if I accidentally kicked something or even just stepped off of, you know, some uneven ground or something, stepped wrong, it would just send this shooting pain up. So when it was at its worst and sending that shooting pain up, I, I would say I'd be close to a 10. Right. Um, but otherwise, it was it was probably a manageable 6 or 7. Yeah. And um, do you put it just down to just one of those innocuous things that just happens in races sometime just from overuse? Or do you think you might have stepped on something in the trail or you just don't know? Yeah, I don't know. It's funny because I had a similar issue at the end of Dead Cow Gully. Um, it kind of started in the last few laps, um, but I was still running on it fine at that point and it wasn't really bothering me too much. But then the next day, um, it, you know, it was feeling pretty bad and it was a bit of recovery to come back from that. And then when I flew over to like, you know, that all cleared up and that was fine. And then when I flew to Texas, kind of the next day, that same leg started hurting my right leg. Oh. So then I'm on the phone to my physio and that trying to work out what to do because, you know, I've only got a week before the event and Gemma's massaging it like three times a day and we're putting these creams and stuff on it. And by the time I got to the event day, like it was fine. It was like nothing had even happened to it. And I'm like, great. Um, but then it was the left leg that started playing up and I'm just like, well, you know, Gemma's given so much attention to this right leg with all the massaging and stuff, but we haven't done anything to the left leg. So maybe it's just feeling a bit left out and it's like, you know, now it's going to, um, yeah, something's happened to it. But it's, it's probably like, like it, it's, it's, it'll be an overused thing. Um, you know, like I, I, I do a lot of technical trails and stuff with, um, in my training and that, but I've never really done it for, you know, a hundred odd hours. So I don't, I don't know if the course kind of, played a role in it or not um or if it was just one of those things that just happened to happen on that day so um but I, i've got an appointment with the physio um after this interview actually so i'll go to the physio and because it's kind of yeah this is the second time it's happened now with a different leg um i'll just probably have a bit more of a chat with him about how to prevent this from happening in in future yeah um, now I mentioned I, I did read that you were playing with the idea of maybe pulling the plug when you first started feeling the pain. Like I'm, I'm tipping when you felt it around the nine out of ten mark. That's when you were thinking that. That how close were you to pulling the plug? Um, so yeah, the pain started around the seventy four hours. So that was during the fourth day, 
And then it was when it got to the fourth night and I started not being able to get my sleep in. Um, so I'd, I'd probably been dealing with that pain for a good sort of 10 hours. Um, and yeah, I was just coming back and I was having conversations with Gemma like, I was just at that point where it's like, you know, what's the point? Like, I'm going to do another two laps and, you know, risk doing even more damage to my leg. Like, what's the point of, for just another two laps? And I remember actually when Rob was coming in from a lap um, and I was I was heading out, he, he was missing the cutoff. I would have been 84, I think, he'd missed the cutoff for, um, whichever his last lap was anyway. And um, so I kind of stopped and had a, a quick chat with him and, you know, he's said well done and all that and I, I told him look I'm probably not far behind you like I've got this issue with my leg that's just getting worse and I've probably only got another couple of laps with me and so yeah I'd had these conversations with my crew and saying like what's the point of keep going you know I could you know I'm thinking maybe I've got like a fracture or something and I, I could be doing some serious damage and that they're, they're just um they, they were pretty good in just getting me to to keep going and it's like well you're not at that point yet where you need to quit like let's just keep going you're still getting in in time and you know i might have not been getting the the sleep time that i wanted or you know my nutrition plan had to kind of change around a little bit um but i was still getting the laps done so it's just like let's just keep going and, and see how far i can go on it yeah well it looks like that fourth night your time's definitely slowed and it looks like there was a bit of you in on the live stream during that fourth night, not that much, but from what I saw, you were trying to sleep, but it didn't look like you were very comfortable, that's for sure. Yeah, like I've always, like with my sleep strategy, it's always like let's try and get that 15 minutes, um, but let's not kill myself trying to get in in that time to make sure I can get that time. So if I need to slow the pace down, I will, and it's just like let's just get whatever sleep I can get um so yeah some laps it was working out to be like five minutes or mm. whatever because i'm not kind of waking up right before the bell i've, I've kind of had that little bit of time to you know get myself organized and together to to go out so i'm probably getting up like three minutes like maybe on that first whistle um so yeah if i'm getting in in about 50 minutes i'm probably getting seven minutes late mm. um which wasn't ideal I, I wasn't quite getting to that um you know, if I can get 15 minutes of sleep, I can kind of get into that second stage of sleep. Sometimes I even get to that point where, you know, I'm having dreams and stuff like that. So I'm getting into that pretty deep sleep. But if you're only getting five minutes, it's, it, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's good to get that rest and kind of reset, but you're not getting into that deep sleep mode. Uh, so it just makes each lap that little bit harder, I think. And I think that's, it's, it's probably, that sleep thing is probably an area that really helps me out and helps me go along in these backyards compared to some other runners who probably just do really well without getting any sleep at all. So for me, it, I think it's it's fairly important. Um, like I, I can do it without, but I mean, the more sleep I can get, the the more um, like aware and cognitive and, and stuff that I will be. Yeah. I know that um, you rate how you were feeling at the end of each loop and Gemma writes it down on a piece of paper. Yeah. Um, do you know what kind of ratings you, you were giving yourself on that fourth night? Uh, uh, it, it definitely it did get down to one, which yeah. is the lowest. Yeah. 
Um, it was probably that for a few laps. Um, but yeah, I, I haven't actually been back over all my notes yet. Like, that's something I'll do when I sit down and I start writing my run report. Um, which because I've just been in the US this whole time, I haven't really had a chance to do that. But it definitely got down to the ones. Um, it would have been there would have been a lot of twos in there as well. Um, you know, especially when I'm having the cruise, the the conversation with Gemma about, you know, I think it's time to pull the pin. That's that's definitely at, at my lowest. Um, but yeah, I ended up like I did start to improve by the end of the fourth night. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then switching to the to the trail course, that just yeah, just didn't it didn't help. If we'd stayed on the night course, I think um, I would have been able to do a lot more laps. Uh, it was easier to manage my leg on that, but then with the unpredictability and the unevenness and stuff of of the day course, it it just made it a lot harder to to manage my leg and kind of get into that rhythm. Yeah, yeah. Um, on the ninety seventh loop, which I think was the first day loop back on the yeah. trail. Um, you ran past one of the cameras in the woods and you looked in really good spirits, like you gave a two-handed wave. And um, I thought, gee, is feels back. But um, do you actually remember things like that or is it just one big blur? Uh, I, I remember giving a wave to the camera a lot of times and, um, like, even I think from, from lap one, I was – well, once I'd kind of worked out where the cameras are, you know, I'd try and give a, a thumbs up or, or a wave or like – like I, it doesn't matter how I'm feeling inside. I tr- always try to act a bit more positive on the outside. So I probably was really hurting at that point. Um, but it's like um, Brad says, smiles gets the miles. So as long as you just kind of keep trying to look happy outward, um, you know, it can help you, you psychologically. So, um, but yeah, may- maybe if there was the camera was at some different points in the on the course there that I didn't know about, you, you probably would have seen me really hurting and like I was hunched over a few times, just really struggling. So yeah, yeah. Um, when, when the camera's there, I'm, I'm probably putting on a brave face for it. Yeah. Um, but outside of that, yeah, if, you'd, if there'd been some hidden cameras, you would have seen a different side of me. Yeah. So the 100th yard, actually, I think it was the 100 and first yard that you actually, oh, no, no, it was the 100th because you came back and you, Obviously, you'd fallen. You had a cut yeah. um, chin, and you had uh, yeah. the top. So, but that was the first time you fell for the whole race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I didn't even realize it had happened. Like I, I just remember, like one minute I'm running, and the next minute, like I'm on the floor with a mouthful of dust, and like I didn't even have any grazes on my hands or anything. Like I hadn't put my hands out to to stop me falling. And it's kind of, I don't know, I don't think I blacked out or anything, but I just, yeah, I remember running and then I remember being just flat on the floor and like my mouth was was filled with dust and like my chin was just dripping with blood. Like I had no idea how bad it was. Um, Not far behind me were some other runners and I just asked them to take a look at me um, to see if I was okay. And they're like, yeah, you look all right. And, um, you know, I was worried about if I'd knocked any teeth out or you know, my jaw didn't feel quite right. Um, so I didn't know if I'd broken my jaw or anything like that. Um, you know, I'd, I'd had the wind knocked out of me as well. So it's just trying to get that breath back. And I was kind of like, before I had that fall, I felt like I was, this was like the fourth day loop. And I'd, I'd felt like I was just kind of getting back into the rhythm of 
finding out those those bits on the course that I could run to make sure I could get back in enough time. And when I had that fall, it was just like I just felt like I was getting the rhythm. And then it's, I've just been all thrown again. And, you know, I, I'm surprised I actually finished that lap because I was just stumbling around for a little bit. I was starting to get really dizzy, so I didn't know if I'd, you know, kind of banged my head somehow that I was getting a bit of a concussion or whatever. And there were a few times I just kind of stopped and I hunched over and I'm like, okay, where am I? I'm looking at my watch. It's like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm not at the halfway point yet or, you know, I'm just trying to work out based on what my watch says and what my surroundings are. Because a lot of that course will kind of look similar and it's it's hard to work out where you are. And I'm trying to work out, you know, what my pace is and am I going to make it back in time. And I think that lap I came in at like 58 minutes or something like that. Yeah. And I just, I remember saying to Jen, like, I've got to stop. Like, I've, I've had a fall. I'm feeling dizzy. And she's like, no, you can't stop here. Just go and do another one. And her, her thing was, you know, because you got the out and back. It's like, if I do that first out and back bit and I come back in and I'm still not good, then I can still pull out. Or if something happens out on the course there, you know, they're going to see me out there. But yeah, I got back in, back past the corral. And I, I was still feeling all right. So it's like, well, let's just keep going. And, um, yeah, it wasn't until I, I was still kind of getting that little bit disoriented. Um, I wasn't even at the halfway point yet. And I'm just like, still just trying to work out where I am. And yeah, there was a few moments where I'm kind of just, I think I even sat on the floor at one point and I was just like, just trying to regain composure. And, you know, then I'm getting up and it's like, no, come on, you can do this. And then there, there was a point on the course, it was kind of just before the halfway where you'd normally get some people come out and cheer you on. And I'm like, when I get there, I'll just check in with them and, you know, make sure I'm all right to keep going or whatever. And I got there and there was no one there for that lap. And then I looked off into the distance and I'm like, well, there's a car there. And I assumed that there was a, a car park. Like these people, obviously they're getting to this area somewhere. So they must drive to a car park and they get out and walk. So I just go to that car and there'll be someone there that can help me. So then I've come off the course. Yeah. And I've gone to where this car is and it turns out it's a rock. And then I'm like, well, I'm already off the course now. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get back on the course and get back in time. So I was, I was on a new path and I'm like, the people that are coming down here, they're coming from somewhere. So let's just keep following this path. And I kind of had no idea if I'd be following it for, you know, 50 meters or it might be, you know, four Ks away. Cause this was kind of, it was kind of near the halfway point. So, and I, I had no idea, like I, I knew the course, but I didn't know like what it looked like on a map. So I didn't know like that it kind of looped back around. And so I'm thinking I'm probably at the furthest, one of the furthest points from the camp here. But then I came out into a clearing and there were all of these tents and it, it was, it looked like someone was setting up for a music festival because it didn't look like the race village because I was seeing it from the back angle. Like I hadn't seen it from the angle and I'm just like, okay, there'll be someone here who can help. And then like, I think, yeah, some people kind of saw me stumbling out of the bushes and then there the starts all this clapping and stuff like that and then the cameras are coming on me and I just it kind of took me a second to to realize what was happening um and then yeah I just went and, and sat down and yeah Jen was there and just explained to her what had happened and got a good look at my chin and um was it Julie or Camille was a nurse and yeah, yeah they're looking at my chin making sure I haven't done any serious damage to her and but yeah I that was like the that would have been like my, my physical limit like I've been kind of chasing that 
that spot since since like my second ever backyard. I've been, you know, want to see if I can get to that point where I'm absolutely utterly exhausted that I can't do another lap. So I, I've reached that point now. Um, it's, it's not quite the way I wanted to do it, but yeah, that's that's how it happened. And yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, because I, I read your post where you mentioned about the rock and the music festival. Um, how long were you struggling with like holding a grip of reality? Was it? Did you actually know it, you were? It was. Of- well, I yeah, I'd kind of in the fourth night like overnight i was kind of I, I was out running the laps and like i knew i was running a backyard and i'm just like what is the what is the point of this like why are we all out here running like we we have these um we had like the timing chips on our on our ankle and i'm like the only thing we're doing is we're taking this timing chip over to the halfway point and then we're turning around and coming back just so this timing chip can get registered or whatever i don't even know if it was getting registered at the halfway point or if it gets measured at the corral and i'm just like why why are we doing it like why don't we like what what's the point what is it achieving and i remember i was like i i I kind of had enough cognitive awareness to know that i was i was at this kind of mental state when i did the satellite champs so I'm telling Jim, I'm like, I've, I've reached that point that I was at, at Satellite Champs. I'm not thinking straight. And I'm just trying to explain to her, like, I'm, I'm trying to piece together in my head what what the point of a backyard is. And I'm like, I'm just out there running and I'm looking at my watch and I know that I need to keep the pace under this, but I don't know why. Like, why am I doing this for? But Jim was really good and, you know, talking with my nutritionist on the phone and, and trying to get me back on track that by the time I got back to those day laps, and with the the help of the sun coming up and all that i was kind of in a better mental state but then when i had that fall that was when i started getting all that disorientation and kind of not knowing where i am and it was kind of like yeah i was back on track and then just within within an instant i was just had that fall and i was kind of just a bit lost again yeah do you um did you stick around at um at the race for long after you finished or was it just like you had to go home have a shower and go to sleep uh we stuck around for a little bit um i was so tired that i was falling asleep in the chair and um yeah as we kind of just before it started getting dark we thought we need to kind of get back home and we'll have a shower and you know if they're still going in the morning then then we'll come back but um i, I would have liked to have stayed a little bit longer because it was only I think a couple of hours after we left that the race actually finished. Yeah. Um, but I was just, I was just so exhausted. I was so tired. Yeah. Do you remember when you left? Um, did you have a, a, an idea of who you thought would end up being the last one standing? Um, so, yeah, when we left, it was just, yeah, um, Ihor and, um, and Harvey. Yeah. And Harvey was looking strong. I mean, I thought it would have, like I always like to go for the underdog and it, it would have been really cool for Ihor to, to win it. But um, I, I kind of had a good idea that, that Harvey was probably going to be the one to do it. Yeah. So with Harvey Lewis, he used, you probably heard heard him say in other interviews, and he also mentioned it on the um, interview that played on the live stream between loops and stuff like that he uses computer games as an analogy with races and said it's like playing a computer game with his body and he said that he was going into 
running at bigs as a new game piece. And it's the second time you've ran against him in a backyard ultra. And this time, the first one was at the Masters, which you won. And this time he was the last one standing. So did he was he like a whole new character compared to the Masters? Yeah, it was it was definitely a bit different racing against him this time. He was you could tell he was a bit more like driven. Um like with with Masters it was it was all about you know, getting everyone through the nights and, you know, working together and all of that. Whereas this one, he was kind of a bit more um, on his own. Like he, he was still out there talking to other people and stuff, but it wasn't, you know, getting the whole group together and stuff like that. And I think even just, I mean, it was a bit harder to be social with the single track because you can't kind of run side by side. And then at night, it's just, I don't think night's a very social time anyway, because it's a bit darker and um, you can't really see each other and stuff like that. So like I found that I, that I wasn't as social as I am at other runs, and and I think it was probably the same for Harvey as well. He didn't seem as social, but I, it it just kind of came across that he was probably just a bit more driven and a bit more focused on on winning this. Or um, yeah, so it was a little bit different running with him this time than the than mm. at Masters. Were you um, ever a gamer back when you were younger? Uh, a little bit, but not not super into it. Yeah, fair enough. So, um, and as far as the leg goes, you're going to the physio after this, so you'll. Yeah. Quite, how's it feeling now? Is it still hurting? Um. So it was a, it was getting a lot better um, since the race, but then um, our last day in Florida, I went and did a park run, just because you know I'm all the way overseas. I might as well tick another park run off. So I went out there. Not that was pretty much my first run since since the event and i had no idea how well i would go i'm just i would just start running and i'd kind of allowed myself 40 minutes because I'd, i booked an uber i had to get the uber within 40 minutes to get to the airport on time um but i started running and i was like going at like four minute k's i'm like well i feel all right let's just keep this up and ended up doing a sub 20 park run but then afterwards i was like maybe I probably shouldn't have done that because yeah. now my leg's hurting again. Um, but yeah, I've, like we went out and I was, I bought a pair of crutches. I was getting around on crutches a bit. Um, we went to Disney world and I was, I was pushed around on a wheelchair at Disney world just to kind of protect the leg. And then I've just, oh, yeah, it was getting better. And I just went and kind of undid all that good work by doing a 20 minute park run. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't have any other events coming up, so I've got a bit of time to, focus on the recovery but i'll see what the physio says today and get it sorted out yeah did you finish in the top 10 at that park run at least no No, i was 16th i think um but i I was just i was just happy that i was able to finish it and um get my uber on time yeah yeah and i ended up getting i ended up getting to the airport just as they were doing the the last boarding call so i almost missed the plane but um Gemma had gone ahead of me, so she'd got there early and packed all, like checked all the bags and stuff in, and and waited for me there. So, but I'd said to her, if I don't make it on in time, just get on the plane and I'll just book a ticket for another one. Yeah, yeah. Um, so now uh, Biggs is done and dusted. Have you started mapping out your next moves? Yeah. So the the two that I've got um, definitely for next year in terms of backyards are the. Um, the Pilbara Trailblazers one, so that's 
um, up in the the north of WA. So uh, that's the first time they're doing a backyard. So it's called the Red Red Dust Backyard Ultra. Um, was it Red Dirt? One of those, anyway. Um, so they've, they've done it the last couple of years, but they've capped it at 24. But this year, or oh, sorry, next year, uh, they're doing it as an open-ended, like, proper backyard rule. So I'm going up to do that one. That's in June. And then I'll be doing the, the Satellite Champs. Yeah. Um, and then I'm going to be doing – so I'm doing Miriam Werner as you've, um, you talked to Adam McDonald about the Search for Hurt thing. So I'm going down to that as, like, a mentorship capacity. So I'm not actually running that, but it's going to be really good to to get to go there and, and help the other guys run that. And I'm going to be doing No Time to Die. I probably won't be running it, um, but I'll be there in some capacity um, helping out or, or something like that. But uh, I might run it, yet to be decided. Um, but I also want to start focusing on the, um, the 24-hour run. So I've done a few 24-hour runs before. Um, but I'd like to go to the 24 hour champs in 2025, which are in France. Right. Um, so I'm going to have to do a, a qualifying time for that. So I'll probably do a 24 hour run, um, next year. So that might be the Asia Oceanic champs, uh, which is at, I think it's in April. Um, so I, yeah, I've, I've, I've got a bit of an idea what I want to do, but the only two that are definitely locked in is yeah, the Pilbara Trailblazers one and the Satellite champs. Yeah. Um, did you consider Dead Cow Gully and uh, trying to win the ten thousand golden loot? Yeah, it it was very appealing, um, but yeah, it didn't line up with the the other events that I'd already committed to. Um, the other thing is as well, like the ten thousand dollars, it's it's a great incentive, but for me, it's not why I run these events. I don't run it for the money, and I just thought if I went in there and um, the success of the event for me was was tied to winning money or not then it would just be a really disappointing experience if i didn't get there and it, it's it's also it's a big commitment to like when i went and did masters obviously there was no prize money there but it was still a big expense to get there in, in terms of airfares and stuff like that but i didn't go there for money i went there to see how far i could push myself which i think i did pretty well yeah um but yeah, if I went there and if I, I spent a lot of money to try and get there and, um, yeah, then I didn't end up winning anything. Then to me, I'd just be like, oh, I've just spent all this money to go there to try and win money and yeah. then not won it. So, yeah. um, but yeah, I, if it was an event that I was already planning on doing anyway, um, then yes, yeah, definitely a great in- incentive for me to, to try and win it. Um, but yeah, it's just, it didn't line up with the other things that I had on and, and yes, it's not the reason why I do these events anyway. Yeah, well, it sounds like you've already got a pretty busy schedule lined up, so that's pretty cool. Um, as far as Do- Dead Cow Gully goes, that um, doco was pretty. Well, it's awesome, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So it came out like yeah, a week before the event, and I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to watch this before the event or not. Like, it's either going to like pump me up and get me ready to go, yeah. or it's just going to make me think, oh crap i gotta do all this again um but i watched it and i think it was it was really good and i think it was really um like it wasn't just about the the world record like obviously that was a big part of the event but it was really well balanced between showing um all of the different people's stories and whether they did 15 laps or 102 there was there was a story for for everyone to be told there 
Um, and I think it just, yeah, for, for anyone thinking of doing a backyard, um, yeah, they're not going to be intimidated by thinking, oh, I have to be able to run 100 hours. They can see these people that have, you know, done their 15 hours or whatever it is, and they can see that that's something that's achievable for them. And, um, yeah, so I think it it's, yeah, can appeal to, to everybody. And I think, yeah, everyone thinking of doing a backyard should probably give that a watch. Yeah. Um, or, you know, even if you just don't want to do one but you like following the format, it's a really good, really good doco to watch. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Like the first two minutes, as I was mentioned, as I think Tim on one of the previous podcasts I did said, all you need to do is watch that first two minutes and you. And yeah. You yeah. I was at that as well. I was, I was at the, um, was at one of the airports waiting for, I think it was the flight to Nashville um, from Texas. And I was just like, oh, I'll just start watching it while, while I'm waiting for the plane. Um, and then I just uh, kind of got hooked into it and I couldn't turn it off. And then we got it onto the plane and there was no Wi-Fi on the plane, but we had to put it into airplane mode. But it had downloaded enough while I'd been watching it. And I could get to – I almost got to the end of it, except the last two minutes hadn't downloaded. So <laughs> I had to wait till we landed to go back and watch the last two minutes. Um, talking about that satellite, the SatChamps in October, that Australian team is going to be really, really strong, isn't it? Yeah. Um, we were talking about it at Biggs as well. So obviously, yeah, there were seven of us there. And um, – and we were talking about Sat Champs last year and it it didn't really feel like it was like it was a team event, but a lot of us were just meeting each other for the first time and there there wasn't that sort of cohesiveness and like some people had just got on onto the team without even realising what the process was or how it worked and well they might have just done one backyard before and that had somehow got them onto the list or got them a silver ticket. So we're talking about it like it's going to be so different um, going into it next year. Like I think we're going to have a, a lot more of a cohesive team. You're going to see a lot more um, like, you know, working together sort of thing. Um, and everyone that's there, they're going to um, have a bit of experience. And, you know, you're probably still going to have to have 60 laps to, to make the team or win a silver ticket. Um, so, yeah, everyone's going to have a bit of experience and they're all going to, they're, they're probably all going to be there because they want to be there, not just because somehow they've found themselves on the list. So, And I already know that there's a lot of people kind of eyeing off what are the silver ticket events or how many laps am I going to need to do to, to get onto the team. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it next year and um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of embracing that, that team atmosphere a bit more because, yeah, as I said, last year we were a team, but there was kind of a lot of, individual workings going on as well yeah yeah um yeah i, I can't wait i'm i'm gonna i'll be at hysterical carnage in a couple of weeks trying to win that silver ticket yeah silver. yeah 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 good luck it'll be really good to see you on the team yeah yeah thanks so but even if you don't win the silver ticket just try and get at least 60 yards so yeah but that's it <laughs> um is it too soon to say if you'll go back to bigs in two years um, I'd really like to go. Um, I definitely have some unfinished business. Yeah. Um, but as I also said, I want to get to France to do the 24-hour champs. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't do the world champs for the 24-hour this year because it was too close to big. So I'll see how I go. It, it might come down to a de decision between the, the two events again. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's, 
an expensive trip to get over there. And if I'm going to spend that much money on getting to a race, I generally would like it to be a different race. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll have to see how things play out. It's, it's not a definite no, but it's, I'm probably leaning more towards doing the, the, um, 24 hour world champs or, or maybe like I'm looking at another, international backyard like maybe the the legends one in is it belgium germany. or germany yeah. germany um yeah so we'll, we'll see what happens so it's still it's still two years away i've got a bit of time to kind of work that out yeah so it sounds like um the 24-hour track race is is the go what about like 200 milers and i can imagine a race like you do really well in a race like coast to cozy or something like that as well um yeah i'm i'm starting to like the point to points a bit more um i've always just been i just you know for my ultras it's just the lap races like the 24 hour in the the um backyards but i mean i did a 100k training run in the lead up to bigs which was just along a 100k stretch of the bilberman track and it it wasn't an event or anything it was just i just went out there one day and did this run and i still had Gemma come along and kind of meet me at points and crew for me and I actually really enjoyed that. So um, I think I'm kind of developing a passion for those type of runs a bit more. So there might be a few more of those um, or even I might just go and do some more training runs like that, do some more 100K or or longer sort of training runs along the Bibbulmun and, yeah, see how I go. Yeah, cool. Um yeah, well, look, I mean, I ha I love watching you over there at Biggs and I hope you're bloody proud of yourself because you did such a good job. And especially yeah. towards the end, like when you're wearing your Phil Gore top or Team Gore top, the red, oh, sorry, the green and gold, like really made it feel like a, an iconic Australian moment. It was so good to watch. And like you were just trying your hardest. It was just, and to hit two, to hit 100 twice in, 12 months it's it's probably not going to be done many times yeah yeah i was i was pretty happy with it but i mean as i said in a previous post um i put up on instagram like there's always i think there's always going to be like a, a little tiny bit of disappointment there that i i wasn't able to get a pb or get the win or, or get a world record but overall i look at it and yeah to get 100 yards um like I, i'm i'm pretty i'm pretty happy with that like and to kind of get to that point in a race where I couldn't complete another lap, like, I mean, that's what the backyard's about. That's that's about finding your limit. And when you're the last one standing, you don't find that limit. So I finally got into that position where I have been able to find that limit and I can, you know, I can say I've given it absolutely everything. You know, like I was, I was ready to pull the pin in, in those early 80s. Um you know, but it just comes back to my my goal is to be in the race as long as possible. If if my goal was to win or to get a world record, when I was struggling in the in the seventies or eighties, I would have just been like, Okay, I'm not gonna win this, I'm not gonna get a world record, like why I keep bothering? But because my goal is to just stay in it as long as possible, it's like, okay, well I might not win this or I might not get the world record, but I can still do another lap. And then I do that lap and it's like I can still do another lap and it's it's just I think that's what the backyard's about. It's seeing about how far you can go and not worry about what anyone else is doing and just, just keep pushing until you can't anymore. 
So I'm I'm really happy with with how I managed it with yeah with the challenges I was faced with and yeah being able to get to a hundred a hundred yards and having now two hundred yard totals um, I think is pretty cool. Yeah, and as a mentor on search for on as a mentor on search for hurt for the four contestants doing the backyard ultra at Miram Werner, I was just wondering like um what do you think? will be your three main focus points for them to do well? Um, I just have to kind of see what sort of people they are first and, yeah, I'd have to look at it from an individual basis. But, I mean, ultimately it's just, uh, as I just said, it's it's going to be seeing how far they can go, not about worrying about what anyone else is doing, about what any of the other runners are doing. Um, it's just going to have to focus on your own on your own plan. Um, so I don't know how much sort of time I get with them before the event. Um, I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure how it all works, but I'll, I'd like to be able to sit down with them and kind of work out a plan, kind of know what they're kind of capable of in terms of, you know, what other races have they done and we can look at what's a realistic sort of pace plan. Um, and, you know, kind of look into nutrition and stuff like that as well. Um, so as long as I got something like that going into it, then when we're actually doing the race, we can be like, okay, let's just look at the plan. Let's just see what you need to do for this lap and, um, just try and be a bit more methodical with it like that. Um, but yeah, just, I think, um, yeah, it's just going to be doing, having those little motivational talks with them when they're getting into those dark places and, you know, when they want to quit, it's like, I've, I've been in those positions. I, I can speak from experience and hopefully be able to get them out to do a few more laps and get through that dark patch and, um, yeah, re- reach a point where they can just keep going again. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It's going to be, I'm glad I'm going to be there because it's going to be a really fun tra- race to be a part of, I reckon. Yeah. Well, you should apply for the search for hurt thing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, Maybe I will. I'm not that fast over 5Ks, though. Mm. <laughs> what is your 5K time? Oh, my best is 18 minutes and 30. Oh, that's, that's pretty good. Yeah, that was a few years ago, though. I, yeah, hardly okay. ever, I hardly ever try and go fast anymore. But, yeah, oh, yeah I'm going to be I'm looking forward to it, though. Yeah. Do you – Um. thanks heaps for coming on, Phil, just like so soon yeah. after – getting back from the trip yeah no dramas it's always great to chat with you yeah thanks and thanks for the support of the podcast as well like always yeah um, oh it was so great when you like you released that podcast during the event because yeah it was the second night and um yeah i'd seen that you put one down so it's like i I don't normally listen to stuff when i I do these events like i always take my headphones and have some audiobooks and podcasts downloaded like ready to listen to if i need to um, but when I saw you, you dropped a podcast, it's like, oh, yeah, cool. I'll go listen to this while I'm out there running. So that gave me something to listen to for two laps and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, cool. And, um, yeah. And then there was a podcast you'd released, I think like a week before the event as well, which I listened to during the event. Um, so yeah, that was really good. So, um, it was, it was good to kind of have that. And like, I wasn't quite listening to it live because it was probably, what was it? Because uh, you'd done it at 25 hours, so it would have been, I think, about 36 hours. I started listening to it, yeah. um, but I mean, it was it was pretty close to being live, and it was it was interesting to see what your guys' thoughts were. And it sounded like the live feed was 
was really good. Like we had a lot of um, positive comments about the live feed and I was just like, ah, oh, you know, I wish I wasn't running this race. I could just be at home watching it on the live feed because the live <laughs> feed sounds really good. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was really good. And I was lucky because I was doing night shift at work during it. So I was able to watch like three nights in a row and it was during the day loops as well when the coverage was better because like you could see more. So it was, yeah, yeah it was really good. Yeah. It, uh, it gave me a few ideas for the live stream. I'm going to be doing a Dead Cow Gully next year as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm going down there in a couple of weeks for a uh, practice run. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, um, all the best at the physio. Hope they give you good news and they give you some exercises to strengthen you back up as stronger than ever. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah. If I can work out how to stop this from happening in the future, I'll be, yeah, good to go. I'd like to know how far I could go if I didn't have those issues come up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, maybe we'll find out. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, um. Well done again, Phil. Um, we'll keep yeah, in touch. And um, if I don't see you before Miriam Wernert, I'll, I'll see you then. Yeah, cool. See you then. All right. See you, Phil. Okay. Thanks, mate. See ya. If you've enjoyed this podcast, it would be awesome if you could share, comment, like, subscribe, all of that. If you've got any feedback, shoot me a message. Hope you have a great day. See ya.